0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. And we're back here for another episode of the Journal Club with uh, Dr. Bill Weiss, emeritus professor from The Ohio State University. Bill, welcome once again for uh, another exciting uh, uh, rendition of the Journal Club. Uh, why don't you uh, start off bill by introducing the guest that you brought with you tonight and maybe just a little bit about the uh, pre- or the, the the paper that she's brought for us?
1: Okay Scott it's good to be back. Uh, the guest I invited was Dr. Helene uh, Lapierre who I got to know very very well during several years at working on NASEM um, and she brought a guest uh, who I'll let her introduce because uh, she knows her better, but the paper is going to be on uh, lactation performance effects of supplemental histidine in dairy cows, a meta-analysis. So Helene, if you could just introduce the person you brought, then we'll get, get into the paper and what, welcome to the, the podcast.
2: Well, thanks, Bill. And uh, actually, I thought that Susanna had to be on board because she's the one who wrote that paper, right? So, Dr. Susanna Raissenen, she's from Finland and she did her PhD with Alex Christoph at Penn State University. And then she went back for a beginning of postdoc in Finland and then moved to Zurich. And now she is currently working in Zurich still interested in amino acid and protein nutrition in the dairy cow, right, Susanna?
3: Yes, very much so. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for inviting me uh, on the podcast as well. I'm very excited to talk about this topic of histidine. Um, This was also a a large part of my PhD that I did with Dr. Ristel at at Penn State. So I'm excited to share the results of of our meta-analysis with you.
1: Good. To, good to have you. Um, yeah. I forgot to mention this is published in Journal Dairy Science this year. I don't have the month, but for, for, for quite recently, and I guess yeah. if you could just start, and I don't know which one you want to address it. But with meta analysis, we always want to know how many studies went into the analysis and just a little bit of the background of the, the data you used for the meta analysis.
0: Uh, Bill, before we get started, uh, if you don't mind, I kind of just wanted to introduce my co-host once again. It's going to be Dr. Clay Zimmerman. And you might notice, for those of you that's watching at home on YouTube, that uh, Clay and I are side by side, not just on the screen, but literally here physically side by side and we are here in a conference room at our corporate headquarters in montvale new jersey so i just wanted to kind of point that out also want to thank helena and suzanne from for for joining us suzanne this is this is not your first time to the pub so welcome back appreciate uh, you. having you here so go ahead bill why don't we just start in then with your introductions
1: no no problem um i guess again if you could just give us a little brief background of the data used for the meta analysis without going into too much statistical detail.
4: New research is changing everything we thought we knew about choline's impact on the cow and her calf, and top scientists have a lot to say about it. They are presenting new research that supports choline as a required nutrient to optimize milk production, Choline as a required nutrient to support a healthy transition. Choline as a required nutrient to improve calf health and growth. And choline as a required nutrient to increase colostrum quantity. This new research is solidifying choline's role as a required nutrient for essentially every cow, regardless of health status, milk production level, or body condition score. Learn more about the science that is changing the game and the choline source that is making it happen. Reassure precision release choline from Balchem. Visit slash scientists say to learn more.
3: Sure, maybe I can take this, Ellen. Um, So, this um, meta analysis, we included a total of 17 different studies published between 1999 and 2022, so from some time ago, until very recent uh, publications uh, investigating supplemental histidine for dairy cows, uh, lactating in dairy cows, and then in some of the studies, um, they were there were different combinations of treatments, so we then were able to divide them, some publications, into sub-studies, so in total we had 22, 22 different uh, kind of studies, uh, totally included. Um, and then uh, one important point was for us to, to divide also the uh, type of supplemental histidine used in different studies. So there were studies that uh, had different forms of infused histidine, uh, but then also uh, a lot of the studies um, also included the studies we did at Penn State uh, used women protected histidine. Uh, And we actually, as we get into the results, uh, we saw some significant differences between that type of supplemental histidine. Um, And then another point uh, to to make about the, the studies included is also the basal diet. So we had both corn silage based diets and those were also included the Reuben protected histidine in most cases. Um, and then uh, most of the infusion studies were actually done with grass silage-based diets. So there were a few confounding uh, factors, I, I think, um, is something that hopefully in, in future we can continue these uh, animal studies to investigate also different basal diets with rumen-protected histidine. But um, that was kind of the data set we had uh, available.
1: And there, there was a wide range of inclusion rates or supplementation rates of histidine. With the different studies quite a wide range of them
3: yeah for sure yes and then also this one important point is also the um the level of histidine in the basal diet itself was also quite different so that mm-hmm. also expanded the range of th- different doses um as well
1: you know I, I thought one other important thing is at least most of them it may have been all of them but you made a comment in the paper that supplemental rp methionine and lysine was fed maybe to all of them i can't remember so that likely we're not limiting in these these
3: exactly yes and and we made the point to to include only compare like studies where we everything else was the same between within the study so only the additional histidine was different between the treatments. so that was an important factor as well um and then yeah most of the studies included either rumen protected lysine and methionine or a lot of the infusion studies then uh, included other amino acids as well yeah.
1: okay. and then uh briefly on what what all we'll get into the details but what all was measured or what were the res- the primary response uh variables
3: so we looked at all the important uh, uh, lactational performance parameters so uh, first trimatter intake and then milk production, energy-productive milk and uh, milk composition and also milk, um, uh, milk component yields. Um, and then we also calculated efficiency of utilization of histidine, including, and then also for all the other amino acids that that uh, were supplied to the, the cow from the diets. Uh, we also then calculated the efficiency of, of um, I mean, marginal recovery of of histidine, we can talk about it uh, a little bit later as well. Um, And then another important factor that we looked into was the um, uh, histidine supply in relation to energy supply as well, and the interaction there um, and how that affects the efficiency of utilization. So those were the major factors we included.
2: Maybe just to step back once, uh, just why we were interested in histidine, you know, why we all begin that story working on histidine. It's like years, years ago when we began to have a little bit more information or more recommendation for lysine and methionine, all the different approaches, they were suggesting fairly similar supply of lysine and methionine that were at that time um, recommended based on the proportion relative to MP supply. But for histidine, depending on the different studies that were conducted, the proportion did vary for the recommendations between like less than two to almost 4%. So we decided at that time that we should really begin to have a closer look at uh, histidine because previously most of the work has been focused on lysine and methionine. So that's where we began to work on histidine. And uh, then we made like a very focused study. And after that, uh, Susanna just took over uh, the little review that was made at the end of this uh, study just to have like a broader perspective with the new studies that she added as well when she was doing her PhD. So there was really like this uh, question mark about histidine that we couldn't solve in terms of what would be the recommendations because recommendations were just so different between the different uh, proposals that were coming from France or you know from well different areas and also as Susanna mentioned, yeah, there might be something that was um, related to the type of study or the type of diet that the animals were being fed that was salt later on in, in the lab of Alex Christophe. So that's why we focused our intention on, our attention on histidine.
1: What, what are some major, are there, are there any good basal ingredients that provide histidine? Uh, you know, large amounts of histidine?
3: I think what well, what I've seen is histidine, um, well, we used actually in one of the animal studies that I did at Penn State, um, we used blood meal, which has overall quite a good uh, profile of different amino acids and histidine especially is quite high. I think from, from you know, common feeds fed, fed on farms, histidine is not usually limiting if the, the metabolizable protein is, is uh, ad- adequate. Um, or higher levels and it's very difficult to increase uh, histidine per se from just feedstuffs that what I've understood so um, that I I would say um, I don't know if uh, Helen has any input on that
2: well maybe also just to mention that why also histidine became such a hot topic if if I could say so is that uh, because all the uh, consumers demand and all the emphasis that was put on reducing the footprint of dairy production. We want to work more and more with diets that are lower in terms of protein supply. And uh, what we always learn at school that microbes add really a good profile of amino acid. But if we have a closer look, actually the microbes, they have a low in concentrations compared to a lot of the feed ingredients. So when we try to reduce the protein content of the diet, usually we increase the proportion of microbial protein, because it, you know it, we know that this is like a cheap, good source of protein to have like high microbial protein. But when we do so, then we decrease the supply of istidine at a higher rate, then we decrease the supply of other amino acids. So basically, initially it was thought that it was with grass silage uh, diets, for example, that istidine was being limiting. But then we realize that no, it's because when the grass silage diets were being fed, they were low-protein diet. But if we feed low corn diets, low protein corn diets, we're facing the same situation. Really, if we look at the proportion of acidine relative to MP, as the crude protein concentration of the diet decreases, this proportion of acidine decreases. So if we want to work with low-protein diet, then we'll have to put more attention on histidine, which we didn't have to do when we were feeding cows with like 18 protein, 18% crude protein diets. But if we want to go with lower supply, then we have to pay attention to uh, to, to histidine. And as Susanna was saying, um, blood meal is quite good, uh, but it's not allowed in all the countries. And uh, sometimes when we look at the um, canola meal, for example, it's not like a super ingredients compared to blood meal but it might bring a little bit more histidine than other types of of, uh, protein supplementation as well so
3: yeah and this is something we have also i was involved in in some studies we've done at penn state comparing canola meal and and soybean meals and there we we see the profile of histidine is slightly better in in canola meal compared to soybean meal yeah. And I, I would add also to, to the point Ellen was making about the low-protein diet. And I think this is a lot of the work. Before I joined Dr. Risto's group at Penn State, they already did quite a few studies with... Um, these low protein diets and supplying both methionine lysine and then later histidine. And this histidine work really came about because of the low protein, low metabolizable protein diets. And they were absor- observing very low levels of plasma histidine. And that's kind of where, where this um, histidine came into into play um, there. And I was very excited to join, join that um, line of research and kind of completed with this meta-analysis it came a full circle i i i feel
5: so Susanna, how how do you define a low protein diet what does that mean
3: yes <laughs> this is a good question as well i i think we we work really with uh, think uh, looking at metabolizable protein uh, deficiency uh, based on then NRC two thousand one, um, which now maybe Ellen can then explain more what what's, what's uh, new in the the current uh, uh, improved uh, models. But um, we were really looking into metabolizable protein um, and then deficiency in terms of uh, rec- uh, recommendations um, in the NRC, and we were basing it between ten, 10 around ten percent um, five to fifteen. I would say we were working with. And then there, the crude protein content. I think we had around fifteen percent crude protein in those uh, studies that we I did at, at Penn State. Um, yeah,
1: so they're, they're not rock bottom low. They're only like five or ten yes. percent deficient based right. on the old system. So they're not
3: mm-hmm.
1: really really low. They're quite quite uh, I'd say reasonable diets in today's environment. So. Mm. Um. And so, with all this emphasis on you know b- blood meals limited in countries, and it may eventually become limited in the U.S. with low protein diets, it's the the need for supplemental histidine is likely going to increase in the future, not decrease. Or the right. So I think this is very relevant to what what's going on now. So if, if um, again on at big picture, let's just start with production. What what basically did you find with? the effects of supplemental histidine on, on production measures.
3: So we really saw, so how we did, did the, the analysis was first, we, we looked at just overall effect of histidine, quite a more simplified approach to look at the effect size. Um, and there we saw a clear response in, in production. So milk production, primary intake and milk true protein yield um and that milk true protein yield really was one of the the um, parameters that responded quite uh really well to to supplemental histidine quite a clear effect there and then we also did a regression analysis so then looking at the increasing dose and and uh, and how how then the different variables responded to to increasing histidine uh, supply and there also um we saw um, uh, positive effects on uh, trimatter intake, milk yield, and then milk through protein yield. So those were the major parameters um, that we had a positive response in. Uh, milk fat is interesting. We, we've seen also in the animal studies that there is a, a slight in, a decrease actually in milk fat uh, concentration especially. Uh, but but um, but milk fat yield, then usually there is no no much effect there.
1: So on, on the, the you know the milk protein, you know, you're providing more amino acids. What well, on the intake, which wasn't big, but it was pretty consistent. Yeah. what, what do you, is it? Because of the demand for more food for the higher milk production, or does histidine have a physiological effect on intake control?
3: Yeah, this is very interesting because it's been quite consistent, uh, especially with the the studies we've done at Penn State and and with low protein diets. And it's very interesting because we don't really... uh, That's kind of what we only can speculate for now and maybe something to to look into a bit more. um, uh, If it's a pull effect, you know, of the increased milk yield or or if... Because there are some amino acids, including histidine, mostly in more like monocastric models that have been shown some possible signaling uh, effect that histidine would have on on the brain uh, but this is still quite a specu- speculative um, and we don't have a really clear evidence on that in in Derek house but it's a very in- interesting effect uh, uh, that haven't, hasn't been really shown with other amino acids uh, as far as i know
1: like I said, yeah. it was very consistent across the, all these studies
3: so.
2: mm-hmm. yeah well actually it's too bad because when we were doing the studies with hylex and um, the initial studies where mm-hmm. we fed room infected histidine we put a grand proposal to have a look at the mechanism of actions but that never got accepted but that i was as you said it's very consistent and it's it's uh yeah, it's it's it really seems to be there. So is it a pull from the increased milk protein yield or is it something which has, I don't know, is this it, in it acting on the appetite control? So that, that would have been nice to get the measurement. And uh, just to add to what Susanna said and then I'll come back to the NSM, is uh, really one of the reasons why actually we, I think we saw an effect when we fed increased, uh, rem- increased um or when we infuse this in, when we had higher supply of histidine, is that in the initial treatment, or in the control treatment, actually, when we look at the efficiency of utilization of histidine, that uh, we can calculate with the NASM now, but that basically it is like the total outputs of um, protein times their amino acid concentration. So it's going to be milk, metabolic fecal protein mainly, and growth if, if there is any growth. And we divide by the supply. When this efficiency actually is, is too high, the chiploid deficiency, it means that we're asking the cow to use the supply that we're giving the, at like an 85 or 100 percent. And actually, when we look at the tables that Susanna made, um, we see that in the infusion type of studies or in the deletion type of studies, the actual efficiency of the solution of histidine was above 100 percent which means that in theory, we were asking the cow to be using the supply of histidine above 100% of efficiency, which is not biologically possible. Either the cow is using its body reserve, it has some labile pool of histidine as well. So obviously when we gave extra histidine, then the cow was making more milk because then she was able to, well, she had sufficient uh, of sufficient supply of this amino acid to increase its uh, protein output. And at the same time, what it did is that it increased efficiency of utilization of the other amino acids. But the other way around, sometimes when we look at what did happen, is that if we're feeding a cow a supply, an, ex, uh, an extra supply of histidine, but the cow is already using, because of the diet that she's being fed, methionine at an efficiency of more than 100%, the cow will not respond to histidine because she has to use, you know, she's already chopped in terms of her production by the supply of the other amino acids. So we really have to look at all the amino acids, one relative to, to each other. And I think that, you know, this concept of efficiency needs to be refined in terms of, you know, what's the exportation and how, how, how they are affected by dramatic intake, for example, or by protein supply. But with the knowledge that we have now, you know, we know that we cannot ask an animal to be efficient at more than 100%. If she does so, it's because she's taking on, on her body reserves. So, so I think that it's it's quite clear in in the um, graphs and in the uh, stats that uh, Susanna did that when the cows were underfed, you know, with an efficiency of utilization above 100%, which was basically the infusion study and the deletion study. The milk protein response was much greater Uh than when the cows were receiving a diet that was supplemented because then with just a diet we cannot decrease the relative supply of histidine as much as we can when we do a deletion study or an infusion study so we really have to look at this ratio i think which is quite important
5: are are the responses are the responses to supplemental histidine are they pretty immediate or is there a lag effect before you see a response in the cows?
3: Mm. So uh, I think for us uh, with, the, um, with the regression analysis we did see, I mean it was um, like a logistic log logistic uh, model that we used because of this cr- kind of a curvilinear uh, response um, where the, at lower levels there is a, a bit of a lag before we see the, the response uh, and then it, it kind of um, plateaus after the maximum is reached but this is also what Ellen kind of plays into what Ellen was saying also especially for the milk true protein yield where uh, we really had a very low supply of histidine from the basal diet already with the, the infusion studies and especially the deletion studies and there there I think that's kind of where we we start it's a, a more a gradual response but then once, once we hit the, uh, I mean, those the starts to increase, then then the response also it is much much greater when we are especially infusing infusing the histidine, um, and then one point to make also with the rumen protected histidine, the studies already the basal diet was supplying quite, um, more histidine that compared to the infusion study, so there the the response is also a bit. Um, not as as great as we, we approach higher higher doses of histidine, and there um, maybe a, this is a time to bring bring up the bioavailability also, which is um, can uh, muddy a little bit that um, or or why we also saw the the differential responses in between um, the, the different histidine ta- types and the supplementation methods for the um, true protein yield and also plasma histidine when we, when we looked at that and there may be the um, there is some overestimation of of some of the products that were used in in different studies and then you know the actual dose maybe was was lower and the the response was a bit underestimated in, in relation to the dose
1: for the rp products
3: yes yes yep. Yep.
1: And one thing that I, on all these graphs, and there's, I know there's effects of of method of supplementation, but almost everything plateaued around 60 grams of methionine, except plasma that kept going. It was linear. Everything else plateaued. Is that, that didn't make sense to me because I was expecting, if you know, if it's plateauing, why just that relationship or that different relationship didn't make sense. Could you... Could you make it make sense to me, please? Uh,
3: I think maybe this is also we can bring in again, the efficiency of utilization. Um, and this was also, uh, for the efficiency of utilization, we, we kind of hit the optimal efficiency at, at the 60 grams per day, more or less. And I think that has to do with with how we what we also saw in the production parameters. And here um, we separated. There was an uh, also differential response depending on the metabolizable protein supply. So actually, with lower protein diet. Uh, the, the optimal supply uh, in, in relation to the efficiency of utilization was actually higher. So at lower protein supply, then the cow needs more, more histidine uh, supplied because what we talked about, uh, the, the microbial protein, the, the ratio or amount of histidine supplied then is, is lower. Um, uh, and, and that's why, so uh, for the low, lower protein diets, we, we would need more histidine. So can I, we, I, I, yeah.
1: because again, you know, the plasma concentrations didn't mimic their the production responses or the profile. So, can we use? Does plasma amino acids have value in like developing diets and supplementation strategies? Or
3: mm. this is maybe Ellen wants to talk about the liver extraction <laughs> at this point, or
2: <laughs> yeah. But I think that the first point maybe Bill would be that uh, actually. It's um, when we look at the graphs, when we put all the studies together, uh, there's not that many studies where we had a dose response, right? So most of the mm-hmm, time, we just mm-hmm. have like a control and a... So it's, it's much harder than to try to get a plateau response. But in like the two last studies that we did that were deletion studies, we could really see that at high supply, we reach a plateau of, of concentrations, which was going in the same way as the plateau in production. And uh, again, just as Susanna opened the door, which is quite interesting for us, is that when we look at the efficiency of utilization and if we look at the contrast, which would be the inefficiency of utilization of histidine, for example, when we had been measurements of liver removal of histidine, they matched quite nicely, which meant that the inefficiency actually was quantitatively pretty much the same as the quantity that the liver was being removing. So, the more we give, actually, the more the liver will be removing. And when we get to really high supply, then this is why, actually, the concentrations will plateau, because, you know, once the cow doesn't have anything to do with the histidine, well, just to avoid any toxic effect of hyper-amino acid concentrations, then the liver will just pump out all of the histidine as it will do for methionine, for example. There's a group of amino acids which are really removed by the liver. And this inefficiency, which was quite nice, you know, for our calculation, the the calculated efficiency or the calculated inefficiency that can be uh, inputted by nutritionists using SM, for example, really matched quite nicely the liver removals, which means that it is not just like a theoretical concept to amuse scientists, but it's really a concept that can be Use on on the on the farms, and that would be one way, for example, to examine the diet to see if it can be responsive or if isidin is limiting or not in this type of diet. Would be to look at the efficiency. I'm I'm always coming back to that because for me it's really the main message, and I think this is something that can be real applied on the farms. Is that if you look at the efficiency, and if you're you know we had a target efficiency of about 75 percent, I think in in SM. If we're running at an efficiency of 85 or 90%, it really means that the cows are missing some histidine. But if we're below 70%, then histidine is not the mindless to target. There's other things to add. Mm-hmm. But within a single study, to come back to your question, if I come back, within a single study, if we have like a lot of dose that we infuse at the high doses, we're seeing a plateau in the concentrations which are matched by increased liver removal
1: and I want to ask ask this question and that is on the the relationship between energy and histidine you you did energy intake is not not megacalories per kilogram but megacalories per day and a lot of that variation is actually you know dry matter intake is a major source of the variation in that energy supply so do you, do you think if you, if you just, if you fix dry matter intake, so n- intake of all the nutrients are the same except energy, do you think you'd still see what you were, you were seeing? Or is, because again, as net energy intake increases, intake of everything is increasing, not just energy, or usually. Because there's not a lot of variation in the concentration of energy. There's a lot of variation in the intake of energy though.
3: mm-hmm
1: i'm just wondering is in, is it energy or is it just nutrients or dry matter
3: yeah this we only did for the so we calculated the the histidine supply uh per uh net energy for lactation supply yeah. um and this was um then um we, then we looked at the the effect of that on the efficiency of utilization um so there um there then we got a very nice uh um, response show, showing the relationship of of um or the optimization of of both both um histidine and and energy supply and i think ellen also this is include uh, in the new nasem also we we have this uh energy effect of energy on on the utilization efficiency so
5: so i've got a few questions so the first one is What do we think the requirement is for histidine in a
2: lactating diet? Well, I'm biased because I've been working on that, but I think we should target an efficiency of utilization of 75% with a correct uh, energy supply because, as Susanna mentioned, and it has been shown by many studies, actually, the efficiency of utilization of the amino acid will be affected by the energy supply, but if we have a correct energy supply i think we need to look at how much milk we want our cows to produce how much protein then do the calculations then fit the 75% efficiency just divide and that will give us the supply so it's not like a ma- i don't think we can just go with a magic number it's it's easier i would it's much easier to go with like x percent but i think that as the milk production will vary and the dry matter intake will vary. Then the outputs in terms of metabolic fecal output, which is quite important in milk, the proportion of one relative to each other does vary as well. That will affect the um, absolute amount of acid we need. So I really, it's not as easy because we need to go through the calculations, but I think that targeting like 75% efficiency for now, maybe after we'll have done a little bit more studies or more application on, on the field, on the farms, we will, we will be able to fine-tune this number, but I think that for now it, it seems reasonable.
3: And I would also add also what we also saw in the meta-analysis, that this depends also on the overall protein for example protein supply if we talk about metabolizable protein or or energy so it's hard to give one number and i also agree that this efficiency of utilization is is a ma- nice target because then then you can adjust then the the absolute supply as grams per day for example based on on the other uh, variables in the diet as well
2: but obviously if you reach that target mm-hmm. for acidine, but if you're above target or if you're just not supplying another amino acid in mm. a sufficient quantity then you do not allow the cow to express full utilization of this amino acid so everything really needs to be looked at um in relation in in a global scheme you cannot just yeah. like pinpoint one amino acid and say okay i'm going to feed that one and i'm clear you really need mm. to look at all of the amino acids because they're all important right yes it is just it depends on how much we find in the feed ingredients, that is changing our perspective. But actually, for the cow, they are they are they are all important.
5: So, what are what are some practical implications of of the you know the histidine work in the meta analysis? Are, are there some things that you know can be applied in the field today?
3: Well, I think as we we just mentioned about the 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 way um, uh, um, the diets are formulated. I think especially in, in terms of, of looking at the, the, the total protein content of the diet, if this is something uh, a farmer wants to decrease uh, for, for different reasons, um, which I think will be increasingly uh, so, uh, then I think histidine and this efficiency of utilization should be taken into account and see if, how, how those diets can be formulated um, and currently, unfortunately, we don't have the room protected histidine uh, available, but hopefully this is something, uh, If, uh, as we also has saw in the meta-analysis, that histidine is important uh, and increasingly so. Um, I think that's, that's another point, um, I would say.
2: Yeah, and, and I would say that the meta-analysis also clearly shows that if we are not supplying enough met, uh, histidine, there is really a penalty in terms of milk yield, in terms of dramatic intake, in terms of, of milk protein yield. So really this is something that we need to be to to take into account. And also one point which is not in the paper per se, but in the supplemental material, is the marginal recovery that Susanna has been talking about, which is like from the extra acid you supply, how much actually you will find back in, into milk. And on average, I think it was around 20% which is much higher than what is usually seen for the protected methionine, which is more about around 7%. So there's really options actually to make sure that we do have enough Estidine. And if we do not have enough Estidine, there is a penalty that our cows will be paying. So, and there's a way actually to check if the cows are receiving uh, sufficient uh, Estidine.
5: So, Susanna, you had you mentioned early on in the in our discussion today that in the infusion treatments there were different sources of histidine utilized. Did I hear that correctly?
3: Uh, So, the infusion studies um, they were different types of infusions. So we had
5: uh, infusions. Okay.
3: uh, Yes. Not not so the histidine that was supplied was was all studies used L-histidine. Yeah.
0: You know, kind of related to that, I think you also said that the the infused histidine uh, studies were done mostly with cattle on grass, and the uh, the rumen protected histidine was done with cows on silage. Was that because of where those studies were done, or yeah, just looking for some background on that?
3: Yes, yeah, so um, the early the early work with histidine was mostly done in Europe, in Finland. Actually, my my previous um, P, uh, uh, professor, I wor- worked under Ila Vanhatalo at the University of Helsinki, uh, and, and her colleagues. They did some infusion studies in in uh, on grasshedge based diets, and then in the in the UK they also conducted some studies. Uh, with in, in different infusions of histidine. And then Ellen did also these deletion studies, but she, she used corn uh, silage-based diet. So those, those are the exceptions of, of the infusion uh, category, I, I would say.
0: Very well. Uh, I guess another question I have is, you know, we typically talk about lysine, methionine, histidine being the, the most limiting amino acids. So what would be next after those three?
3: Uh, well, in, actually in the meta-analysis, we were also looking at the efficiency of utilization of other amino acids um, in, uh, and how that would affect the uh, efficiency of, of histidine utilization. And one, one that, um, in, in, uh, in addition to lysine and methionine, we uh, saw leucine uh, was also there um, having an impact. Um, uh, but otherwise, um, I know in the new NASM, there are also other amino acids included that maybe uh, require some future work as well to to see the the full profile of of his um not histidine but (laughs) amino acids and how how those play um and what are the optimal supplies and uh, how we can reach the optimal efficiency for for the group of of amino acids i don't know if Ellen has any yeah well
2: actually i I would just answer it really depends what you feed the cows right
3: Mm -hmm. so
2: if you feed a cow with a lot of corn, for example, you won't be short in leucine. But if you don't feed any corn, then leucine you might become short of. So it really depends. I think that this is sometimes what we hear is that the cow is like, uh, this diet is limiting for the cow, actually. Uh, this is really depending on what's being into the diet. There is not, an, not, not this diet, but this amino acid is limiting for the cow there's nothing in the mine which is limiting for the cow. It depends of the diet, which is being fed. And I think this is really something that we need to keep in mind. It, it depends so much of what's being fed. So as Susanna was saying before, you know, for example, feather meal, we know is really, really, really low in histidine. So then if you feed that, that's for sure that histidine will be uh, underground the ground. And uh, yeah, and, and I think probably it's a major difference sometimes between uh, Europe and United States, where in Europe they will feed less corn, and I think that in some cases they've shown that leucine might, it, it will be worth it to have a look at leucine, for example, whereas if you have plenty of corn, well, you will have a look at it, but the chances that it is limiting, uh, that it's going to be in short supply, I, I think I prefer to see in short supply than seeing limiting, um, mm-hmm. will decrease. So it depends so much what, what are the feed ingredients.
0: You know, the questions for you, no. I know I got one last question, kind of curious about, um, you know, what's the next steps for uh, histidine? As Bill had mentioned, you know, he anticipates that it's going to be more and more important as uh, as we begin to feed cows a little differently. Um, so what's some of the next steps uh, relative to research?
3: Yeah, So for me, I really, really do want to continue the work I, I've been doing on histidine. So, um... And I think we didn't touch too much on it today, but the, the libel histidine sources, the endogenous histidine sources that we have in hemoglobin, for example, and, and different muscle D-peptides that can be mobilized during histidine deficiency. And this is something uh, we, we have seen in some studies, uh, but require long-term uh, investigations um, this is something uh, I would like to look into and in, in general I think long-term studies would be interesting to see and then different uh, lactation stages of the cows as well uh, transition cows uh, are quite um, challenging to study but I would would say histidine would be interesting um, amino acid to look into there as well I know there has been a lot of work on methionine but um, I would think histidine is also important in, in that stage of lactation um, and then I think also this uh, energy energy histidine interactions is something also interesting to to continue working on as we saw a very uh, strong relationship there as well in the meta analysis.
5: So so Susanna, you, it is the reason why blood meal is such a good source of histidine is because it's high in hemoglobin.
3: Uh, probably yes, I I, I actually haven't. Um, uh, thought about it too much <laughs> but now that you say it 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 make, makes total sense yes
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah as, as Susanna was saying is that this is something that we see if the cows are being short in uh, histidine for example their hemoglobin level will slightly decrease so that will offer the cow like an endogenous source of of histidine there are some dipeptides as well like carnosine that mm-hmm. will be replaced by another type of peptides that will have the same buffer function in the muscle but so that that can mask actually the histidine deficiency and actually mm-hmm. in human nutrition it has been quite uh, um, a challenge to define what would be the histidine requirements because of that because mm-hmm. if you take a human being and if you put it on a diet which is short or with no because we can do artificial diets it's tough to we won't see very quickly the histidine deficiency because of the use of all these internal sources so the same thing will happen with, with a cow, but the cow is pumping so much milk out, then you know, the deficiency occurs much quicker.
4: Tonight's last call question is brought to you by NitroSure, precision-release nitrogen. NitroSure delivers a complete TMR for the rumen microbiome, helping you feed the microbes that feed your cows. To learn more about maximizing microbial protein output while reducing your carbon footprint, visit balcom.com slash
0: <laughs> Bill, if you will, can you give us kind of a few takeaway thoughts uh, regarding uh, uh, what we heard today?
1: Okay, well, one is you know meta-analysis are powerful statistical tools. They they do have limitations, but they are powerful tools. And with this analysis, they, they show all the raw the 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 the, 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 ex, the results by treatments or by experiments, so you can see the consistency. And they also did some other things to look how important if if it's one study is biasing the results. And so I think this is a good, good analysis. It shows clearly histidine is important. And again, with the discussion they have in the table, in the, in the text, it's going to become more important with the way we're going to change formulations, it's going to become more important. So I think it's a very uh, well done meta-analysis. And I think it has a lot of practical importance.
0: Helene, one last question for you. Um, our audience consists of a lot of consulting nutritionists out there building diets every day for, for their dairy farmers. What's a couple key takeaways from the meta-analysis that uh, that that you think that the consulting
2: nutritionists out there ought to take away from this discussion? I, I think the major point, actually, is as I mentioned before, is that this needs to be taken seriously. If you don't supply enough of it then you'll have a penalty on your cow production so I think this is really for me the, the, the main message which is coming out of that and again the efficiency utilization will be affected by the energy supply as well and they have tool we have tools actually with, with an SM to look at this efficiency and uh, you, we can assess actually if the herd is being re- or the cows are receiving uh, sufficiently of acidine, but also the other amino acid. But again, what the meta-analysis clearly showed is that if there is not enough acidine in the diet, if the cow does not receive enough acidine, there's a penalty on milk, 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 heal, milk protein yield, and also it might have an effect on dry matter intake, which is also like a vicious circle. So I think the message is really clear on those three uh, main points for nutritionists.
0: All right, very well, thank you for that. And Susanna, uh, any final words you'd like to leave with the audience?
3: Yes, uh, I think I, I 100% agree with Ellen. Uh, I, I would like people to remember that histidine is important. Um, and if there is anyone there out there um, wanting to, to produce rumor protected histidine, this is also an um, you know, important message for me as I want to continue this uh, line of research uh, into the future.
0: All right. Perfect. Thank you for that. You know, I think it's pretty unanimous. All of our guests says that histamine is important. So I'm going to uh, uh, surmise that we're going to have additional conversations, be they podcasts or webinars on this subject. So I would uh, ask our audience to stay tuned. Uh, With that, I want to thank you guys for joining us today. This has been a great discussion. I've enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next one. Uh, To our loyal audience, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, we hope you learned something. We hope you had some fun, and we hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour, and you're always among friends.
4: We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests, so please reach out via email to anh.marketing at with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot, along with your address and t-shirt size, to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars.